From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 103, and today I'm joined by Sam Coyle, who's an emerging filmmaker who's made shorts like Greta Follows Rivers, Keep Coming Back, Dark Side, and she's working towards her first feature film, as well as Richard Rodder, who started off on the factual side of television, much like I did myself. He worked on Intervention Canada, and he's also recently made a feature film called Side Boob. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Wild Strawberries. I'm Jeremy. I've seen the film, but not for a really long time. I'm Richard. I've never seen the film. This is my second Bergman film ever. So, uh, I'm Sam Coyle, and this will be my pop cherry. <laughs> for Bergman in yes, general? Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. Oh, that's surprising for you. You seem like Bergman's right up your alley. I know, but it's the, what the it's just, I love this. This is why I love the podcast, but it's those things that everybody's like, you should watch it. I'm like, yeah, 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 I will. And then you never you do. You never do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, what's the other one? Seven Seal? Yeah. So I just recently watched it a month ago, and I feel like a terrible filmmaker that I've never really seen any of his films. That's okay. So for you, what's interesting for you when you watch this is he made Seven Seal and Wild Strawberries back to back. Which was first? Seven Seal, came, uh, Seven Seal came out six months before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were shot in that order. I assume they were. But uh, especially when you watch the two, you're like, you almost feel like a young filmmaker made The Seventh Seal mm. and an older, more mature filmmaker made Wild Strawberries. Mm. It's bonkers that they're back, that they're the two films he made back to back. It's kind of like when you consider, you know, Steven Spielberg made Raiders of the Lost <laughs> Ark and then E.T. <laughs> and it's like, that was what he followed Raiders with. Right. It's like, that's a bonkers tonal shift. Yeah. Um, anyway. So what do you know about Bergman that, that people have been like, you should watch Bergman? Uh, that he, he, he tells women's stories very well, yep. doesn't he? Um, very much so, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and uh, ironically, this is more of a man's story. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a, there's great female characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the most I know. Uh, he did Breathless? No. Oh, that's no, Kadar, yeah. Nobody listens. Same to time podcast. though. It's still a similar time, I think, right? That's okay. Yeah, no, they're all operating yeah. at the same time. These yeah, are all yeah, the yeah. European masters. So you've yeah, got exactly. Fellini's yeah. Fellini and uh Kurosawa. Well mm-hmm. not he's not European, but um Bergman and Godard and Truffaut, yeah. all those people are yeah. all Contemporaries, whether or not they knew each other, some of them did. I'm sure, sure they had to have known each other. They were all like masters and huge at that. Yeah, time. the French ones would have known each other, but yeah, poor Bergman's off on an island, no. all by himself, <laughs> just trying not to commit suicide every six months. Um, yeah, Oliver. I mean, he's just like, he's an auteur, and anytime you ever see like a reel of like famous movies throughout the years, like iconic images, I feel like shots from his movies always come up. Yeah, like he had a, a, a cinematographer he worked with 
primarily uh, Sven Nickvist. Sven Nickvist? Um, Sounds right. Saying it wrong. That's I got the <laughs> I got the syllables right, but I don't know if I nailed the pronunciation. Uh, is one of those kind of great relationships where they they did most of their work together. I can't remember if he shot this or not. Mm. We'll find out when we want to see credits. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he shot the lion's share of uh, Bergman's features, which are I mean the the box set that I just got for Criterion has thirty nine features in it, oh my God. And, that's wow. not, and that's not all of them. That said. They're not all great either. Like right. a lot of them are fucking <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's thirty nine. You know. Yeah. Well, and that's that's, that's like Woody Allen. I mean, Woody Allen. How many has he shot? And he's got some pretty awful films. Yeah, but it's funny. But when you have that many numbers, it's like even if like a, a, per- a small percentage of them turn out, you're doing better than a lot of filmmakers. Yes, oh, yeah. totally. <laughs> right. Which is which is hilarious. But it's interesting. It's like and 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 Bergman came up through this system similar to a lot of filmmakers at that time, where there was just they they were you know. Had, his kind, you know, in Sweden had created this this film company, and so he had, there was a, a bit of an apprenticeship program that he came up through, mm-hmm. um, and and the the actor that plays the lead of this film was one of the most not-, not notorious but most famous uh, silent filmmakers in Sweden back in the silent era is playing the lead oh, of wow. this film, <laughs> um, but so his first couple films are not great films, but he was able to just keep on. It's similar to Kurosawa when he first started out. It wasn't until he made his like sixth or seventh feature right. that he made something decent that really had his voice. Where you know nowadays, that's so someone, cool. That's so good to hear. You always hear of people <laughs> breaking through on their like first feature. You well, you like, do, but you do because those are like the rare things, yeah. right? And that's what everyone strives for. But mm-hmm. that's like winning the lottery the first time you buy a ticket, mm-hmm. you know. But that's what that's the expectations that are thrown upon our generation of filmmakers. Is that you're expected your first film to go out and get into Sundance, mm-hmm. or and, and to just blow up the world, and that's just such a realistic expectation. That's just setting yourself up for torment. Unrealistic. Uh, unrealistic. Please. Yeah. You, what, said, you, you said, said realistic. Oh, realistic. Yeah. Unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Everyone. Yeah. 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 They just hand you uh, <laughs> a slots at Sundance when you make your first film. They come in the mail. Yeah. Right. With yeah. samples of Tide. I didn't get mine. <laughs> oh, you didn't get yours? I didn't get mine. Oh. It must have got lost. I have an extra one. If do you? you? Yeah, I, would, yeah, yeah, I, I really haven't used it yet. As yeah. you, you might have noticed, I haven't used it yet. I'm saving Just it. Just holding on to it. For a special yeah. occasion. Yeah. When I feel like I've really earned it. Uh, but, but that's but that, that is the, 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 the sad thing is that there yeah. was this system. And I guess now we do that with shorts more. Uh, our generation does numbers of shorts where then they weren't. I think they were just they were working as writers or assistants and then moved into some mm-hmm. kind well of- i mean there's probably no money in shorts back then whatsoever there's not really much money in shorts now <laughs> but like to make a short though right if you're gonna get a finance like who when there wasn't as much of a platform yeah you know we have the online to be able to share shorts and people watch shorter content so we're making yeah. that more whereas mm-hmm. then people are going it was like theater back then to go to the cinema to totally. watch yeah stuff. yeah and bergman was a theater director too a lot of, i mean everyone you know, every every I think there's a great metaphor I heard about filmmakers and, and filmmakers like origin stories is that it's almost like every filmmaker burrows, you know, a, a, a tunnel, a hole into a tunnel and then blows it up behind them. And that's their story. It's, it's, you just can't co- no one can copy anyone else's origin story right. and have to become a filmmaker because it's just it never really has to be different for every single person. Mm-hmm. Um as much as we all, but then that doesn't stop any of us from reading and relishing and <laughs> trying, the, yeah. and trying. And like, well, they did. It worked <laughs> yeah. for them. Why can't it work for me? 
yeah, and so what are your thoughts on Bergman having watched one? Was that recent or was that a while? Yeah, ago? I watched it a month ago. I mean, I thought it was beautiful. It was a bit dry. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and it's pretty philosophical. Um, the Seventh Seal. Um, so, uh, I might not have been the best mindset for that movie when I was heading home for Christmas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I'm eager to see this one. I've heard a lot about like, what strawberries I heard. It's an amazing film. So, and it's also kind of the one that kind of catapulted him right into a bit more of like a mainstream eye. Am I wrong? Uh, it's not far after the the film that was really his breakthrough film was smiles for summer night. Mm. And it was a film that, um, he got into con with and didn't know this is how bizarre this is. this is in the 1950s right he's he the story the way he tells the story is he was sitting on the shitter <laughs> in his office and the newspaper comes out and it's like swedish film makes splash at con it's all a buzz he's like oh great for them who it's the film it's like it's his film <laughs> he didn't and nobody the, nobody the, told film, the company, told- film company didn't tell him that it was in they submitted it to the festival didn't tell him that it got in huh. and so he finds this out and then he's so broke he borrows money from an actress that he was dating at the time to go to con so he could be there for the rest of the screenings can you imagine <laughs> That's insane. <clears throat> insane. But it was also, it was just like, you know, it was it was a job. He like he just turned out film after right. film after film. Yeah. And, but it was also mm. like Smiles for a Summer Night was kind of the make or break of film for him because he was basically told that, because he's already, he, I, I think it was like his, I want to say it was either, he was either 10 or 11 years into his career as a filmmaker or was it his 10th or 11th film. I think it was the career thing, not the... Mm number of films. I think it was like his sixth or seventh film. Um, but he was basically told if this one doesn't work, if, if this one doesn't make some money or get some kind of acclaim, we're not giving you another film to make. Like, you're done. <laughs> and so, and and then, so he, this story goes that he was torn between killing himself or making a film. And so he decided to make a comedy, which is like as, as close to a comedy as Bergman can get. Okay. But it's actually a really delightful, fun film. <laughs> and and it kind of catapulted him into kind of international stardom a little bit. Mm. And and he says that after that film, he was kind of able to have the career he wanted and do basically whatever he wanted right. inside the system in Sweden. Mm. But he's definitely known as one of the, like, I think the Bergman, kind of the tropes of Bergman are kind of slow, mm. depressing, but beautiful and poignant. European. Yeah, very European, <laughs> but him especially is very, very dour. And I got, and he was one of the first foreign masters that I was really drawn to because as I, as I was going through the rabbit hole of my influences, um, he was one of the biggest influences on Woody Allen. Yeah. It was like Bergman <clears throat> and the Marx Brothers are what you get when you have Woody Allen. It's mm-hmm. like that, those two very diverse things. And so that was my into him. And so I kind of just, even though if you watch Bergman, you probably wouldn't think, I'm a fan of Bergman just based on his stuff and my stuff. Um, but there was something about him that really just connected to me too. Hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. So You're so knowledgeable. I love it. Aw. <laughs> anyway, let's maybe just dive in and then we'll have more to talk about. Yeah. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Are we just finished? We did. And... <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was like we went. No, I'm. I'm... Um, it was very simple. Um, 
but like beautiful. There's like a beautiful, like the memories and the, the wondering of his life, you know? Yeah. I love that element. And did you know, and I didn't ask this before we, we started, but did you know anything about this movie going into it? No. And how about you? No. Yeah. Nothing. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, it's, it makes, makes me, cause I first probably saw this film when I was in my early twenties. And so I don't think I appreciated it the way I do now. Um, especially just thinking of when I, I'm from a small town and so whenever I've gone back, which isn't often, I know that, you know, driving down certain roads and certain things just like spur memories. Mm. And even I've gone back to where I went to college and, and whatnot and just like driving, it's just, it's just amazing how just going down film similar paths and, and whatnot just spur these memories for you. And so I connect with this film on a, on a very different way, having revisiting it now than I did when I first saw it well over a decade ago. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely brought up a lot of... I have a cottage, and just the, those memories were flooding back to mm. me, just of your, my own past. And I was like, oh, I wish I could transport in time and see some of those memories again in that way, you know, so vividly. That was really cool. Yeah, it's interesting because that one um, scene that plays out for quite a while when he goes back to the childhood cottage is is a is a memory of a scene that he's not in. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. it's what him, he imagined. Yeah, him imagining yeah. the day that his Sarah mm-hmm. forsook forsaken him or mm-hmm. forsook. forsook? Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it's, it was clear, but the. Um, the Sarah from his past and the Sarah from the present are played by the same actress. I wondered. B- it's BB Anderson. Their faces look different, right. though. Yeah. No, their faces, it's the hair. Her hair is much shorter and the other one's a And longer. they gave her a beauty mark. Yes. Um, but the way, yeah, I thought, I was I was very curious. My God, I loved the contemporary version of her. She, I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, so B.B. Mm-hmm. Anderson is one of Ingmar Bergman's um, staples. I mean, what's, what's cool about him is he does have a bunch of actors that he continually reuses. Mm. Um, Gunnar Bergstrand, who plays Evold, uh, the son, right. uh, is in quite a few of his things. Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow has a very small cameo. part. As the uh, the as gas uh, station attendant. The gas station attendant. And then he goes, when he was in, he was Seventh Seal, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and they had. There's lots of uh, actors that come and go in in, in Bergman's overwork because he has like kind of a uh, just a rotating group of actors that he uses, and a lot of them are theater actors too. Mm-hmm. They were great. They were great. Yeah, but isn't it amazing? Just like the difference in in BB Anderson, like the, the the older Sarah and the younger. It's just like the energy is so oh, different. Yeah. yeah, that's what I loved, and it was refreshing for. Even this film, she was refreshing because I feel like you could see a lot of the acting with the other ones, but she had more of that lively, like impulsive spunk. Yeah, which I admired. It was great. No, she has a breath of fresh air because I think you go into this film, especially the way it starts, very conditioned. You just expect it to be like a bit slow mm-hmm. and monotonous, mm-hmm. and and she's this energy that comes in, you know, and it's like and it's almost like she represents like this youthful spark. That's coming back to him as he goes through this this trip. Mm-hmm. Um, how I think of it anyway. This really reminded me of a Christmas Carol. I'm not gonna lie. I'm yeah. watching it going like I've seen this kind of play out before, where this old man, right, right, right. this old rich grumpy man, kind of like ends up having these encounters and then like goes back into these memories and stuff like that, and have, like reflects on like mm-hmm. what he what he has become. 
Um, yeah, it very much is, is that kind of story. And in a way, it's almost a more grounded, realistic version of that story. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's, you, you can kind of buy, because uh, that's one of my favorite stories. And I love, uh, we just did Scrooge on the podcast. And uh, and that story of like, that all it all, tran- he all transformed in one night. And, and, you know, Christmas Carol is a very heightened version of that. But where I feel like this, you kind of buy that that trip, just like, even just like the book ending of him waking up and him going to bed mm-hmm. and, and, and Marianne, his uh, daughter-in-law, like they start off the trip basically saying to each other, I don't they, like they you. They hate each other. Yeah. Either. Yeah. And by the end, they're, you know, pals. Yeah. I didn't buy that he was that grumpy, though. That was my only thing. I just I, they were saying it and that it was in the dialogue of it, but then he was just so kind and it was easy for him to switch. I found, mm. um, and also he was pretty charming in that first scene, like him and the old yeah, lady exactly. were going back and forth in terms of their banter, which was kind of fun and playful. Yeah, um, hmm. that yeah. was my only thought, really. But yeah, I mean, well, but that's what I mean by it. it's, it's it's a grounded version of it because he's not far off becoming a better version of right. himself, you know? Because even in, even in the car, they're talking about that loan. His son owes him some money, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's killing him to pay him 5, back. 5000 a year. Whatever, but, yeah. you know, when they first bring it up in the car, he's like, well, yes, I understand that, but a loan's a loan, and he has to repay it, and that's part of his responsibility. It's about honor. That's what it's, about, it's about honor, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, when he's in bed at the end, he's, you know, you get the sense he's about to tell his son, you don't need to pay me back anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that little switch there, like he himself, it's not like all of a sudden he's not like jumping for joy and dancing and saying, boy, buy me that turkey in the window. It's not like that yeah. transformation that, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge takes, mm-hmm. but it's just more of a, and this inner peace comes over mm-hmm. him or something mm-hmm. that it's, it's like a little quarter turn as opposed to like a 180. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, that dream sequence at the beginning kind of threw me off. Yeah. Because when we had talked, you had said this was like a six-month gap between Seventh Seal and this, and that he was like a much more seasoned director by that point. Yes. And it was one of those things, I think he was trying to accomplish something with that wagon and... uh, That that face that turned around, all that kind of stuff. And I I was... I, I just... It pulled me out for a moment there because yeah. I felt I was like, ooh, whatever you're trying to work in here isn't cutting well together. I'm like, as an editor, too, it really bothered me when I said that. I was like, oh, jump cut. That, that didn't quite work for me. That's the one sequence um, in the film. It makes me feel like bad student film. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. You yeah. watch the thing slowly fall over. Yeah. Like a- yeah. But part of it, I think, is because like this is 1957, yeah. right? This is now 60-some-odd years later. I think we have seen like the bad student films that came out of this. Mm-hmm. And so, but now we associate it all together. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting, yeah. But and, and I think this might have been the first time I caught it when uh, he's at his mother's and she pulls out that pocket watch that has no hands or hours yeah. on it. Yeah. The clock, and then does that little music sting. Yeah. It's the, <laughs> there's the clock he sees in the dream sequence yeah, that had exactly. no hands or face on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in a way, I think it's meant to ensue that death is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I got from that. And I think that that's why he became so reflective over all those at this point in time, you know, and of his youth, because it, it sounded like he he was a very kind, charming, lovely person, you know, and I think he was wondering where that went. 
Yeah, well, you get a sense of it. I mean, you know, Sarah leaves him, and then he ends up with uh, Kareen, is his wife. Mm-hmm. And then you get, and then she cheated on him. Yeah, was... and it wasn't even sure if Elvald was his son. You know, there's all this stuff. It's like he had a bit of a he had a tough go. Yeah, mm. you yeah. can understand why he uh, might have been crusty and 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 whatnot. Yeah. Wait, sorry. So I'm curious. Was that? I think it was maybe like it was towards the end of the film when he was watching that one guy basically molest that woman. Yeah. Was he like he'd seen a rape happen or what was that scene exactly? Because I was trying to figure out like. I thought that they implied like he had seen this happen and did nothing to stop it. No, uh, or did I misinterpret that completely? I, I thought that his, no, they were playful, playfully, and, like that was his wife messing around with another man, and he saw it. Yeah, because the guy that's what it was. Okay, the guy says you stood here um, and watched this, it and heard them speak right, okay. of you. Okay, and she was saying he's a cold man. He, you know, that's what it was. Yeah, I do love the conceit that. Uh, they didn't ever have like a younger actor playing Isaac, um, yeah. and it was always him just taking place. Even when he interacted with them, it was always just him in the present. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that conceit a lot. I think that that worked quite well. Um, what else? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, just in even terms of like camera stuff in the beginning, I was like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> just no. like the the the. Uh, uh, narrator kind of element to oh, it yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like the very staid camera shots of a room and just like close up wide and I was like okay yeah we'll see <laughs> and, <laughs> and kind then, of what you're not supposed to do in a script to explain all the background in yeah. like narration as opposed to just letting it play out and like yeah. acting it right but then it really moved you know mm-hmm. and then it and then it took it had pacing and it picked up and you were really long I was along for the story for the majority of it at first I was trying to like what is going on yeah but also what's interesting with that opening after you've seen the movie is you realize that he's a false narrator you know like he's telling you this is like this is Karen she's my wife and I loved her mm-hmm. and it feels like all these stock token things exactly that you're learning about him. and oh my great my, my wonderful mother you know right she's still alive and, and so it's just you're just getting oh it's this old man that He's quite happy with his past, but you start to deconstruct it as he sees these things, and his mm-hmm. wife was unfaithful to him. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like he's, it, they had this perfect marriage yeah. for 70 years or 40 years or whatever it was. And so you start to see beneath the veneer of all that stuff that just seemed kind of commonplace and mm-hmm. kind of boring mm-hmm. at the beginning. You sort of realize there's more to all of it and, and the relationship between... Because I think, yeah, they set up basically his son, who is married without a child and the, the mother and then the the wife and all of those things kind of get unraveled throughout mm-hmm. the course of it right with the son not wanting children like when you think about a scene like that that scene where you um get the backstory of marianne and elvand uh and he's like i don't want a child like mm-hmm. this is 1957 like Movies don't have scenes like that, yeah. right? You know, where married couples are talking about how it's like we don't want to have a child. Mm-hmm. I just want to be with you, and who cares about like the typical things of family? Yeah, it's pretty. I think I, I must have been fairly shocking for the time, right? Even yeah. the questioning of God, like that whole um, that blonde, the young blonde girl who was Sarah, questioning yeah. of Sarah, yeah, questioning like God. I thought 
coming from that. <laughs> well, does like, God exist? <laughs> no, like questioning, but, no. but mocking. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. they both they, they go off to she leaves them off to fight in the in the hills because they said that she they couldn't she couldn't possibly understand the fight. Yeah, and so to mock them, she's like taken off. When they come back, she's like, "Well, does guys, God exist? yeah." That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. And neither of them answer. They yeah. just that's why she's you know, and and that's where it's like it's great because you get that moment. Uh, earlier in the film, when when uh, he's chastising Marianne for smoking, and she's well, what, what hobbies can a young woman have? Mm-hmm. And he says something like, "Well, like bickering in the kitchen yeah. and all yes. these terrible sexist things, yeah. uh, bearing children." Yeah, yeah. But then what's great is that you know by the time you know young you know modern day Sarah shows up, you realize that oh that's not you know the voice of Ingmar Bergman saying those things. That's just. The old character, Isaac, yeah. mm-hmm. because you know he clearly has all these different point of views mm-hmm. for for youth and 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 how females should be and, and whatnot. Yeah, and I like I like the theme of of the cold or becoming your parent. You know, of when she brings up that your mother is cold and you mm-hmm. are cold, and now Elvind is cold, and just that, and I think that makes him switch. You know. Just like I would just wonder about where he was at the filmmaker at that time, if he's reflecting on family in that way, you know, that you become your family. Yeah, it's interesting. At this point in his life, he's um, ending his third marriage <laughs> and starting a relationship with B.B. Anderson, oh. who, played, who played Sarah. <gasps> That's crazy. Um, and even their relationship is kind of on the skids, but... Uh, um, but it's also like European Swedish culture where I think like adultery is not as big of a thing as it ever was in North America or is mm-hmm. here. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like the French way too. It's, you know, people, um, even there's a line of dialogue in the film that that's, I can't remember the exact line, but it's something about how it's like, there's nothing to be forgiven, um, about these kind of things. They just kind of, they just don't talk about them and they, they let them go on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Bergman was, I don't know, he was an interesting guy, because he, uh, you know, he just kind of, he lived in, he had his own little island, at one point he kind of, he bought his own, there's a documentary called Bergman Island that that, that talks about it. Hmm. Um, but he's a fascinating guy, because he's he was questioning God, but then he made this religious trilogy as well. Uh, like, that. I don't know if you saw it, there's a movie, um, uh, Paul Schrader's movie First Reformed the Ethan Hawke oh yeah it just came out it's basically like an unofficial remake of Winter Light which is a Bergman film oh wow so if you're gonna watch that Mm -hmm. it might be interesting to go back and and watch that film which is part of like an unofficial trilogy like religious Mm. trilogy that Bergman made which was him really getting it if you wanna see him really get into his religious like quarrel he has within himself mm-hmm. um, that's a really fascinating series of movies um, and this one uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, there's a Woody Allen movie called Deconstructing Harry I haven't seen it it's interesting it's hard I couldn't find a co- I, I, I have the VHS and I went to look, watch it last night and I was like fuck iTunes you can't even rent it on uh, and I've been looking for a DVD copy of it anyway it's basically Woody Allen's remake of this movie Oh really? So of this? Want, of this, oh, yeah. Wow. It's like, but in a very different way. He basically t- has taken the conceit of uh, of someone being honored 
at a school and the journey that they go on to get there. But in the Woody Allen version, it's a school that he got kicked out of. (laughs) And then he's gone on to do wonderful things as a writer. Uh, And now the school wants to basically forget that they kicked him out and honor him. And so uh, on his, he's also, the movie starts with um, one of his ex, his, not his ex-wife, his ex-wife's sister, who he had an affair with, bursting in with a gun, talking about how he ruined her fucking life because he wrote this book that basically confessed their affair they had while he was married to her sister, and now her sister's pissed off at her. And that movie is essentially... It's a a different story in a lot of ways, but it's about a person who can't really function in life and can only function in art. And so, But instead of getting dream sequences in that movie, we get a lot of... Um, we get the excerpts from the stories he's written mm. with these other characters, and so it's a different way of doing it. It's a very Woody Allen way of doing it versus this. Again, that's how you get like the Bergman mm. and the Marx Brothers sides. Right. 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 The yeah. side stories he's doing are all very Marx Brothery comedy, uh, but then you get the the kind of the poignancy of this this journey he goes on of reflecting on his life and all these ways he's let other people down by telling their stories, but kind of. What someone even says at one point is like you're like you're like the asshole that takes everyone else's shit and turns it to gold for yourself. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a great. It's one of my favorite Woody Allen films, and mm. I think it's one of the ones that people don't really think about or look at. You should do it on this podcast. It's great. If I can find it, I got to find oh, a yeah, copy yeah. of it. But I haven't been able to find a DVD or a Blu-ray ever. I don't think it ever got uh, released. I'm sure it's released on DVD somewhere, but it's out of print and it's it's impossible to find. Mm. Uh, but it's a fascinating movie, and it came out in the early 90s, and it was right around that time where he was really hit or miss, and it, it kind of got, it was it was a, one of those films that people really loved or really hated, um, and Ebert, even in his review, talks about that, and he gave it like a four out of five stars, um, but a lot of people mm. kind of shat on it, uh, but anyway, I have fond, fond <laughs> memories of it. Um, part of it is because it's, it's connected to this, but Woody Allen does that a lot. It's like, you can look at, you know, Stardust Memories is his version of like Fellini's eight and a half. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of kind of films he's made that he's taken one of his favorite films from the foreign masters and kind of done his own Amazing spin on it. Right. But that's also, you, when you make a film a year, you yeah. know, you, you, <laughs> you gotta look for something to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Yeah, I don't know. I think like after that one dream sequence, I just felt like you were saying like it flowed really beautifully. I thought like the cinematography was pretty stunning. Like uh, it's simple, but yeah. But but there were even still moments too. Like there was the one where Sarah, like young Sarah, and I think it was her sister, were like on the stairs, and it was like just beautifully lit. Like back in like how they used to do it back in the fifties. Like even like having a bit of like a noir aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the eyes and everything. I just like there's always something really unique about like European visuals I feel like back then that we don't really have here in North America well even just composing for black and white is such a skill into itself mm-hmm. um, it almost makes me the, the one downside to this movie being a black and white is I want to see the strawberries I want to yeah. see like whenever they talk about them because it feels like such an important the only time I element. felt that I wanted to see the color was at that brunch scene oh when, yeah because you can imagine how colorful wearing and stuff mm. like that of that time as well right yeah. yeah 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 for sure 
Um, well, he gets into color later. There are Bergman films in color. <laughs> uh, there's the great... and Because they have that one shot where it's flashing back into his memory of the cottage. And it does that bad dissolve where you can see the cut. Uh, it's a few of those. Yeah, but... but you know, it's you got to be forgiving for that. You oh, be yeah, forgiving. it's no. the technology, but you can almost imagine how that would be done now, or they'd be able to just really perfectly morph yeah. the past mm-hmm. in. But then there's also a couple moments where they're coming in and out of other dream sequences that are kind of impressive, and it makes you go, "Oh shit! How did they? Was that in the studio, or how did they?" There's the one where they're in the car, and it pushes into him, and it, everything around him goes the into light. darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that was it, in studio for sure. Yeah, That's but it, but it's right after I think. Like the young kids are like are just outside the window singing to her them. shirt's still there though that's what I saw was yeah like there was only a corner still lit and then then it pushes oh yeah, yeah 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 but yeah. It's like there's bushes and stuff outside yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. the trick is great yeah like no, they definitely did fantastic. it inside of a studio yeah. but they really you know fool you into believing that this yeah. this just just occurred they do it there once and they do another one uh, where it's looking inside of a window I think it's when he's remembering. Uh, Another memory of old Sarah and Siegfried. Siegfried, the guy, that, the brother that actually married her. Oh yeah. They're having like she's playing piano. Piano, and then, then they sit down at the table. Yeah, and, and then, then they, he goes inside. Yeah, and it does another like mm-hmm. very theatrical transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 I look at this. Well, what do you think about? It? So you just came off of watching Seventh Seal not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So when you when you consider those movies were made, you know, six months apart from each other. Well, I mean, I guess the question again was like, you know, when you were asking, like, what was he going through? I mean, both movies kind of deal with mortality in a real way. Um, and so that's, I was curious, like, what was he going through I at think, that point, too? Uh, I think that's one of those just, like, common themes throughout Bergman's entire life. Like I said, you know, just a couple of years earlier, he was at this, you know, kind of crossroads in his life and career where it was like, make a hit film or you're ruined. And he was like, well, do I make that film or do I kill myself? Yeah. You know, he was, he, I think he, you know, had suicidal feelings throughout his entire life. Mm. And so that, I don't think that ever quite goes away yeah. right. in his work, which is part of what makes him a bit dour, but also makes him come up with some really fascinating things. There's that great dream sequence where it goes into like a university or school and it's the couple that was on the road with them that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. got into a near car accident. And he starts grilling him. And, uh, You're about, inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just so, it's very meta, the, the, the conversation they're having. And it's like, and I can't remember how it comes up, but the, the punchline to the line is that it's like, what's the punishment for this crime? Oh, yeah, his crimes are like being selfish and oh, right. arrogant or rude or whatever the crimes are. And it's like, well, what's the punishment? It's like loneliness. Mm-hmm. It's like oof, <laughs> you know. It's so it's like yeah, that's what happens when you're that kind of person. And yeah. it's another one of those things that that makes him, you know, even wanna. Is it Agda? Is to the, the housekeeper? Mm-hmm. He's like, why don't we just call each other Agda and Isaac? That's so cute. She's like, no. What would they? What would the? What would everyone think? My yeah. reputation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even though they're both like in their seventies yeah. and adorable. Yeah, I lo- I did love the. The relationships, even at the end with uh, Mariana, it was very heartwarming when he says, I like you, Mariana. And she Mm. says, I like you too, uncle. Oh. Yeah, and then a little kiss on the cheek. And I was like... 
It's interesting the the relation like the because it's she's he's the father in law but the uncle is interesting. I think that's a European thing. Yeah, they did it with a few because she they were calling her Aunt Agatha mm-hmm. as well. I think it's just a term of respect for an elder that's not right. Like, and she's been around for so long. Yeah, they just refer to them as aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever have that growing up? Like you had like family, like your parents' friends that weren't actually your aunts or uncles, but you kind of referred to them as I did, yeah, as that. Yeah, I think that's just what that is. Yeah, I have so many aunts and uncles, so it's. I think we kept same that here. separate. That it wasn't. We didn't call. Yeah, same. But I have. I know I had friends that they referred to aunts and uncles that weren't actually their aunts and uncles. But oh, I'm yeah. the same. Like my parents, I had my parents both had half a dozen or more siblings. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up with like 40 cousins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. I have 30. There's a lot of us. Yeah, it's a ridiculous amount. <laughs> small towns. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is that what happens in small towns? What else are they going to do? I have one cousin, so I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Well, they were, but it was, it was but it's like, because my, my dad grew up on a farm, and so it's like, it was that era when you had lots of kids because they, you needed fucking help. Yeah. Right. And they were free labor. <laughs> you know? Ours is from more two marriages, I think. Ours is from separate marriages. And uh, there's lots of kids. No, right. and the other one was like my... And then my mother's family was Catholic, so they weren't allowed to use condoms. And that's... Yeah, that's generally <laughs> what it is. Or Mormons. <laughs> yeah, so they just couldn't... It's either they stopped fucking or they stopped yeah. having right. kids. Right. That's funny. And that's about it. That's what was it like for you rewatching it? Uh, it was interesting because I didn't remember... I remembered like B.B. Anderson... Um, and that, I really remembered that. I remembered, like, just the, the structure of it. And, and I did have the same feeling you had watching it with that. It reminded me more of, like, a Christmas story this time around. Going, oh, it's a very similar, like, the tropes are all there mm-hmm. of revisiting your past. And, and But again, I felt that this is a much more grounded version of that as opposed to mm-hmm. having, like, literal ghosts, ghosts. Yeah. come out. Like, all of them are ghosts right. we're seeing, but they're not, you know literal he's saying that and, and they're represented more like daydreams he's having as he's yeah. on this trip uh yeah i think i i was i was a little worried to be honest it's like i'm not great at watching slower paced movies at night mm. so i was actually worried i was going to fade in and out of it but i i found it it kind of grabbed me and captivated me the whole time which was kind of a nice surprise for me i was i was worried that it wouldn't um yeah i, I really really enjoyed the the revisit of it yeah, I felt very engaged throughout the whole thing. Like, I wasn't mind-wandering. I was like, oh, it, and every time a scene maybe was longer or whatever, it would move. It would move. That's the thing with mm-hmm. the pacing I thought was really great about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it works for a film that's now 60 years old. Mm-hmm. I think it holds up holds up pretty well. Yeah. Just that dream sequence. <laughs> the first yeah. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to be critical of something. And I, that, I, as I said, I watched that. I was like, oh, boy. This yeah. is what we're in for. I will okay. say, I will say, I didn't want to say while we were watching it, but that, that, that opening when it's just like the narration and talking about stuff, and then that scene coming, I was like, ooh, I said, we just gotta get through these two scenes, <laughs> and then they'll be fine. I said, I hope Sam and Richard, Richard aren't like sitting there going, what the fuck did we say? First 10 for? minutes are the most important, and you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. But not then, like, people, I know. you, you yeah, gotta remember, that, yeah. yeah, it's 60 years ago, it's like, it's not like you would turn Netflix off and go on to the next thing. It's like you paid your 10 cents. You're in. Yep. You're in for the evening. But And it didn't ruin it for me. Like it, the narration set it up at least because it carried throughout. But that first dream sequence set up dream sequence. But I wasn't holding on to it being like, 
it, it didn't taint it for me anyways. I think. No, I don't think it taint like, but I mean like just like the first 15 minutes I was like, okay, what's, what's this going to yeah, be yeah, about? Yeah. And but then like also, you got caught up in it as you said, like, yeah. yeah. But it's also the most surreal dream sequence in the entire movie yeah. mm-hmm. and borderline pretentious. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all those, tra- it even has the, which are now is such a huge cliche, but the score is like harps. Right. Like the yeah, yeah. dream hearts that now, if someone put those in a movie, you'd roll your fucking <laughs> eyes and it would have to be making fun of itself. But this is like, you know, this is, I don't know if this is the first or this is where it came from. But this is definitely yeah. you know, mm. one of the earlier films that did that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, where the trope comes from. But yeah, th- th- then after that, like the dreams aren't really all that surreal. No, with the exception of when he has when he's remembering his wife and he's being tested. Yeah, and they, they've got. I the, love that one though. In the yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was great. But the rest of them are, or even when they are like have an element of sur- like they are surreal. I feel like they were just like much simpler and how yeah. we how we tried to execute them. You know, just like simple lighting cues and stuff like that, as opposed to these weird push-ins or um, yeah, that cut to that man suddenly melting. It was just <laughs> yeah, you so know, like bizarre. to me that that yeah that yeah that and didn't have the full payoff. I no, don't know what that was no. about. <laughs> and the one transition that I think is like one of the more interesting ones, although it's really subtle, is when we first meet young Sarah or like modern day Sarah. I'll call her because you don't know right away for a second that we're not in the dream sequence anymore, you know, because he's still sitting down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. He was part of it. Um, Wait, when do we meet her? I thought she oh, comes. Yes, I, I was very curious. That he, she meets these random travelers and then they carry on for the trip. I was like, where did they come from? Yeah. And they're just, just on his property. Instantly letting. And oh, right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, she yeah. says that it's her dad's property now. Um, oh, okay. yeah, she does. Yeah. And then he's trespassing. Uh, but it does take a second, that. and that's intentional, I think, for mm-hmm. it to go, oh, is she part of the past? But then yeah. you realize, oh, she's wearing she's contemporary mm-hmm. clothing, and the way she's acting is very contemporary. But also, but it's the casting, the same actor, right, right, right. where you go, but wait a minute, but you feel like you are connected to that past somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also let, makes you, you know, accept why he'd be like, yeah, come in my car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll share the road <laughs> with you for the next couple hours. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, she's a breath of fresh air in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, so does it make you want to go and watch more Bergman? It does, yeah, definitely. I, also because, uh, what movie did I see? Casablanca, and I hated it. Yeah. Just because I felt it was the same thing of acting. I didn't believe anybody. I didn't believe that they were in love, and it's supposed to be this massive love story, and I've heard so much about it. But this was, I was like, oh, it's... I I believe a lot of that, you know, and that's what I look for filmmaking is things that draw me in and excite me and and move me. But when I just watch people like one single tear come down because you're supposed to be crying in this moment and I just don't feel anything, I just... So anyways, it just, yeah, it makes me want to like see what else he's done, you know, and how he evokes that from actors and stuff like that. Tons, tons. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if you have a, a Toronto Public Library card, you can use Canopy mm. yeah, and yeah, access. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of his stuff is on the, yeah. the Criterion mm-hmm. portal. Because they it tends to be the older stuff. I mm-hmm. can't imagine there isn't a fair amount of his on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, dive in. There's yeah. a lot. There's yeah, because yeah, it's still early on in his career, right? So This is early on, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the 50s. So, you know, there's a lot. Not all of it's amazing yeah but it's easy to kind of go through and and curate and pick out the ones that 
I think are probably like Cries and Whispers is I think you would love Cries mm. and Whispers is about three women and it's fucking hard to watch but mm. it's a great great movie um, yeah the the Spider Trilogy is called which is what part Winter's Light is part of um, he did he did these two kind of interesting things closer to the end of his career he did this um, project called Scenes from a Marriage and then was it 10 years later he did Fanny and Alexander and Fanny and Alexander was his last film and then he did a sequel to Scenes from a Marriage like 20 years later and they're both these uh, projects he did that were miniseries mm-hmm. they're both like 5 or 6 one hour episodes mm-hmm. um, and then he recut them or cut them down to like 2 hour 3 hour movies and so it's interesting to watch them in their expanded form and then watch the truncated version Oh, that's cool. Um, and Scenes for a Marriage is fascinating because it's like every episode of that is just a one-hour uh, scene of uh, a couple at different a different point in their relationship over the course of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. It's so fucking engaging and interesting. Cool. Uh, and Fanny and Alexander is a story about kind of two little kids um, whose mother... Uh, re- father passed away and mother remarried like a, a mean as fuck priest and them kind of like dealing with that and also just kind of escaping into their imaginations and realities uh, and it's a different kind of film for him too especially at the end of his career uh, but those are really interesting there's a lot of just interesting stuff Seventh Seal is, is interesting it's mm-hmm. very very uh, dreamlike because it's it's literally a man playing chess with chess death, with death. Oh. You know. Does he do that in, in his films a lot? It's a lot of dreamlike sequences, or yes and no. Like some of them play pretty straightforward, and then some of them, like he definitely dabbles into the theatrics, mm-hmm. right? Um, but he does it in a way that doesn't necessarily feel pretentious. The way it really could, really mm-hmm. easily could. Like every now and then, there's little whiffs of it, like the dream sequence in this movie, but. The stuff like the 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 Grim Reaper chess sequences, the death in in Seven Seal don't necessarily feel I didn't that find way. Them pretentious, but... Even though they should be, you know, and they've been paradized right oh, yeah. so many times over and over again. It's like every time you see like the Grim Reaper kind of show up and play a game with somebody, that's where it comes from, mm. you know, like Bill and Ted. Bill, the Bill and Ted's the sequel that's to Bill and Ted is literally that's, that's the same a, a riff on the Seven Seal, yeah. right? Um, and so many, so many, um, shows and things where you've got to kind of like make a deal with death are kind of based off of the seventh seal mm-hmm. or, or in whatever it's kind of drawing from in terms of, um, method, mythology when it comes to death. Yeah. That one, that one's kind of a staple. You should see that one yeah. too. Uh, there's a ton. There's so many. Yeah. There's no shortage. They'll, yeah. they'll keep you going. 39 you said. There's 39 in this box set. I think he made up to 60, 65. Like, he made a ton. Like, he was also making... It wasn't uncommon because of this kind of, like, studio system he was in. It was not uncommon for him to make two a year. Mm. You know? or But he was definitely making... He was churning out, for the bulk of his years, uh, a film a year. Wow. Mm. You know? But it's also, you got to imagine... You know, these films didn't have huge budgets and weren't paying him a ton of money. So for him, it was just like a day job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you woke up, 
you if you finish the last film on Friday, you start the next one on Monday. Mm-hmm. You start getting it right. You got to pay the bills. It was a job. Mm-hmm. You know, it just so happened that it was also art. Right. You know, so it's kind of a different way to to approach it. Mm-hmm. That he, you know, he had to pay the bills. You know, it's a weird way to think of when you think of these four masters. Did he write all them? He uh, most of them. I, mm-hmm. I think. I think. I think. If not all of them, I think he did. Um, I'm trying to think of any ones that he didn't that I can think of offhand. I can't think of any offhand that he didn't, but I think he was definitely part of the writing process for most of them. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely an auteur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts as Rufus snores the, the night away. Yeah, I thought it was gorgeous. I'm, I'm, yeah. It makes me want to see the rest of his collection for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great first experience into his his films that, yeah, it left me with such a, a wonderful feeling. Like, it in the end, so it was good. Yay! Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Good! Thanks, yeah. Jeremy. Well, but it's good, because it's like, this is the kind, these are the kind of films that, you know, as, that are threatening to disappear forever. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you don't have companies like Criterion putting out, yeah. you know, a big box set of them all and, and co- continuing to upgrade them to DVD and then yeah. 2K, 4K formats. And even just showing like how simple a story can be, how simple yeah. a movie can be. Yeah. We're kind of caught up in the CG world right now where it's all about blockbusters and like, you know, global stakes in here. Like that's where it was all about personal intimate stakes for him right which is what more most of us deal with right yeah. that's yeah. more realistic yeah exactly. yeah uh but on that note too about the about the criterion is like if for those that don't know criterion recently announced that this spring at least in north america in canada and the u.s they'll be launching their own streaming service oh wow so that's cool wow Get on that, yeah. film nerds and lovers. <laughs> I don't know the, what they're going to charge for the cost will be, um, but I can only imagine it'll be it'll be worth checking out. And I'm sure you can get a free month trial to, mm-hmm. uh, to dive Just in. Binge for a whole month. Binge. <laughs> get get nerdy. Yeah. Get nerdy. Well, thanks for coming over, guys. Yeah, thanks, thank Jeremy. You. Let's all go. Thanks for joining us for Wild Strawberries. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.